Hey, good morning, everybody. I uh, wanted to try something a little bit different. Uh, uh, I've already got Minister Rylan. He's going to cover, uh, he's going to help lead our, our service tonight. And uh, we're going to have prophetic ministry on Tuesday. But rather than having a guest in or trying to figure that out with traveling, I wanted to come to you and minister to you this morning. My wife and I, uh, we haven't been able to say it, but we are actually celebrating today Leah's father's 60th birthday. And so we went to Dallas, all of their siblings, for the first time in 15 years are all together. And so we're going to enjoy some family. Uh, we'll be back by next weekend. And so thank you for being in service today. I wanted to continue our series. Uh, guys, I really think God's going to do some great things. Uh, we, we began a series uh, entitled Better Together. And I want you to take your Bible right now. Everybody stand to your feet and open to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 1. No, I'm sorry. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19. We're going to come back to chapter 1 in a minute. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19. I'm reading this morning out of the New Living Translation. I like the way it reads and it talks about being better together. So this is going to be our theme throughout our entire series here. And this is what it says, Ephesians 2.19. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family together. There's the word together. We are his house. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him. Becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of the dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Wow. Well, let's pray. Let's ask the Lord's hand over the time as we open the word together. Jesus, I, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that it is light and it is life and it is inspiration. And God, I know that even in this time, there are so many in crisis. And, and Lord, you've not called us to abandon the assembling of ourselves. We know that we're better together. We know we're a temple that is being formed together. And God, I'm asking that you would, that you would help us in this time and season. Show us how we're to grow together. Speak to us even today through your word. God, I, I ask an anointing rest upon me that I would preach with authority under the unction of your spirit as I ought to. And I ask that you would anoint every listener within the sound of my voice. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart and a mind that perceives what your spirit is speaking even today, mighty God. We ask you, help us through this message in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I want to begin, you'll notice that there's an, there's an interesting theme that runs through the book of Ephesians. Uh, the first couple chapters, you'll see a lot of talk about sitting. Uh, it talks about how we are seated with Christ, we are seated in authority, we are seated in blessing, we are seated in, in an inheritance, and we're going to talk about that over the next couple weeks. But then about halfway through the book, it makes this shift and it talks about our walk with Christ. It talks about how we are to walk in love, we walk as children of the light. Uh, even ask the question, how are we as believers in, the dark, in a dark world, how are we supposed to walk and so you'll see this progression. We're going to sit, and then we're going to walk, and then the last part is that we're going to stand. 
And you even look at our graphic, uh, you see a guy sitting in a chair, and then you see uh, a guy walking, and then you see standing. Now, standing is not just standing around. Great, now we're mature in Christ, we can just stand around. No, it's, you'll notice he's got a sword, and he's got a shield. And the last chapter of Ephesians talks a lot about standing our ground. It talks about the armor of God and how we can stand against the wiles of the devil. How we can stand strong in the evil day. And having done all, we stand. And so uh, that's where we're going. I'm just telling you guys, I, I believe in this last day. As we are nearing uh, the return of Jesus Christ, you know, the Bible actually says that in the last days that the devil is going to be operating with greater wrath, greater intensity because he knows that his time is short. And I determined quite some time ago, I'm not going to let the devil be more passionate about his agenda than I am to extend the kingdom of God. We as a people need to be so mindful that we have real warfare that's ahead of us. If we're going to see God do great things in Kona, if we're going to be a part of this last day revival that the Bible prophesies about, that so many prophets are speaking about, it's deep in my heart. I'm telling you, we're going to have to come to this place where we know how to war. We know how to stand and withstand every attack of the enemy. Now, I don't know if that excites you. I know I get excited about spiritual warfare, but before we learn how to war, we're going to learn how to sit. And you say, Pastor, that sounds real boring, but here, I, I want you to understand, your power, your authority in spiritual places you want authority to break the power of the devil you want authority over sickness and disease you want authority in whatever realm of life you may be considering it's not going to come just from having an understanding of uh, principles of spiritual warfare our true authority is going to come when we understand who we are seated with and let me show you this right out of ephesians ephesians 1 in verse 20, now, I'm laying a foundation. Why are we going to talk about sitting? I'm laying a foundation. I'm going to show you. Ephesians 1.20 says that when Jesus was raised from the dead, he sat down. You'll notice the title of our message today is Sit. He sat down at the right hand of the Father above every power in heaven and on earth. Now, that's powerful just in and of itself. Jesus God in the flesh, he died, he resurrected, and now he is seated next to the Father. He is the name above every name, every power, things in heaven, earth, under the earth. Jesus is over all. But hear this. You are gonna, I want you to understand how powerful it is that, that, uh, to sit with Christ. Now watch this, Ephesians 2.5. says, when we were dead in trespasses... He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Guys, if you just get this one idea right here. 
It will absolutely transform your spiritual walk. When you understand the authority, the power, the dominion, the victory that Jesus has over, over death, over hell, over, over every enemy, over every demon power, every power Jesus is victorious over, and you and I, if we are in Christ, if we have been born again and raised to new life in him, we are seated with him in that very same position. And so we're going to learn. We're going to learn how to sit. Now, I want to give you a couple benefits of what it is to sit. But, you know, I used this illustration last Sunday. One of the first words that my wife and I taught our kids was, sit down. Gabriel, sit down. Mariah, sit down. You know, the reason is, is I'll never forget this time. My, my wife had actually had a dream. I think we're safe to share this now. My wife had a dream on one occasion where our son Gabriel got hit by a car. And in the dream, he, he died. It was a horrible, horrible dream. I remember we woke up, we prayed. And it was around that time that my wife began to teach my son what it meant to sit down. He, he wasn't even two years old at the time. And I'll never forget one day we're walking out of McDonald's and Gabriel just begins to bolt across the parking lot. And I'll tell you, that's not a moment. Uh, you know, some of you think, man, Pastor Jacob, why are you always screaming at us and all that? There's certain things you got to take seriously. I didn't walk out the door. Now, now, Gabriel, you know, come back here, son. You know, you're... No, I, Gabriel, come here. Stop. Right now, come, sit down right here. I mean, I was serious. I was, I was harsh. He cried immediately. But there was a truck that was coming barreling down. He didn't know. He was just, he saw our car walking out the parking lot, and he just went for it. We taught our kids how to sit. Why? I mean, of course, he knew how to run, but he's not going to safely run until he knows how to sit. Gabriel, it's time to listen. Gabriel, it's time to learn. Gabriel, it's time you sit down. There's safety in that. And so we're going to learn. Uh, hopefully by the end of this whole thing, we're all going to know how to war. We're going to have great principles for spiritual warfare. But we're going to learn how to sit. Hallelujah. And so I want you to look. We're going to begin at the beginning of Ephesians here. We'll just look at a number of verses. And I want to give you three benefits to being seated with Christ. What does it mean to sit with Christ? Uh, everybody say sit. There we go. Uh, not everybody said it. I'm not even in the room right now. And I can tell not everybody said it. I want you to say the word sit. There we go. All right. Now, look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 1. And you may just stay open there because everything I'm sharing this morning is going to come right out of those verses. It says, Is Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus? And the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He is uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, I, I want you to pause there because I'm going to continue reading, but I want you to pay attention to how many times this passage says, in Christ or in him. These are the benefits that we receive when we are seated in Christ. And so every time you read this, you can say, wow, 
That's a truth for me. That's a promise for me. And so again, you see, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is ours in Christ. And it continues. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy without blame before him in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace he made us accepted in the beloved in him there it is again we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace which he made to abound towards us all in wisdom and prudence having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together all uh, one all things in Christ which are in heaven which are on earth in him over and over and over again we see Ephesians is laying this foundation of what it is to be seated in Christ uh, there's a lot we could do I just want to give you three today and the first one we see is uh, in verse 4 I want you to look there again three blessings and here's what I want if you taking notes I want you to write this down to sit with Christ First of all, is to be chosen and called. To sit with Christ is to be chosen and to be called. Verse 4 says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Everybody say, I am chosen. Look at, look at your other neighbor. Look at the neighbor and say, I am called. Now, this is powerful, and I, I want to take you back. Now, we just recently in our prophetic night, I talked about Jeremiah, and there's two powerful verses in the book of Jeremiah. When Jeremiah was being called, Jeremiah 1.5, you may know this by heart, it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you as a prophet to the nations. Now, this is just wild. Let me, let me give you one side point here. I know right now uh, we're watching a lot of things being signed back into legislation that's funding abortion, and always these arguments continue to come up. There is no debate in Scripture as to when human life begins. Let me just throw that out there. In fact, I would submit to you, some people argue, well, does human life begin in the womb? I would actually submit to you that God recognizes human life before the womb look at what he said about jeremiah it wasn't just when he was being formed in the womb he said it was before you were being formed you know god had intentions for jeremiah before he was ever even an idea in his mother's eyes or the father's eyes god had plans he had a calling he had a purpose for him and this is incredible and and, and so some of you might say well pastor what does that have to do with me that's jeremiah I mean, he's a prophet. Of course he was called. Of course God had a plan for him. Well, let me give you another one out of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Now, who's he talking to there? We, we talked about this again on our prophetic night just recently. 
Jeremiah is receiving a word that he is delivering to the children of Israel. And at this point in time, they're actually under Babylonian captivity. Most of these guys are slaves. Now, I want you to think about if God is speaking, how can God say to a slave, I have a good plan for you. I have good intentions for you. I want to prosper you. I have a hope and I have a future for you. I mean, how could God say somebody, something like that to somebody who's in such a miserable condition? I know that we can look at all the suffering in the world and sometimes people question, God, are you really good? Is there hope? Is there a future? Do you have a call for this person? God here was not just speaking to one person like he was at the beginning to Jeremiah. God here is speaking to an entire group of people. And here's one thing that I want you to understand. There's a concept in Scripture that is very important for each and every one of us to understand. And it's this idea of covenant. Now, surely in Jeremiah's time there were other people that were suffering. But there was something about the covenant that God had made with the children of Israel that says, Listen, you're in a rough situation right now. But I have a plan for you. I have a hope. I have a future. I have a calling for you. Because they were his covenant people. You understand, I, I'm in covenant with my wife. And I have a hope. I, I have an expectancy for a good future for my wife. I mean, I, I expect those things and I want to partner with. In fact, I will fight to see my wife move ahead in life because we are in covenant together. Now, I meet some random lady on the road, and, uh, you know, I may care about people, but I tell you, I'm not in covenant with the random person on the side of the road. I will not fight for it. It's not that I don't care about people, but you understand, when you're in covenant with somebody, you're going to fight for them. You're going to push for them. You're going to invest in them. You're going to pray for them in a way you wouldn't, people you're not in covenant with. Now, this is part of the beauty of being in a, you know, we're better together. You want to know why? Because even as members of the household of God, we have entered into covenant together. That means the same way that I'm, I'm fighting and contending for my wife and my spouse. Guess what? I pray that same way for the people within our church. I take seriously the responsibility as a shepherd of God's sheep. I'm not going to let wolves come in here. I'm not going to just roll over and let the devil knock out whoever he wants to. It's the beauty of being in covenant. And can I tell you what Jesus did by the shedding of his blood? When we are seated in Christ, that means we are literally received into a new covenant relationship with God. That is the most incredible thing because some of you may wonder, well, how do I know that God has a call in a purpose for my life. If you are seated in Christ, you are one of his covenant sons or daughters. And those who are in covenant, we just read it, they are chosen and they are called. That means you can actually look at verses like Jeremiah 29 11 and you could say, well, I'm one of God's chosen. I'm one of God's covenant people. And you can literally begin to lay hold of the promises that you see made available to God's covenant people. Does that make sense? Hallelujah. Now, 
Another thing, before I move on to the second point here, I just want to point out, now this is very important, because it says, um, it says there, we come, um, I've chosen you, I've called you, and then it says that we are made. Now this is very interesting. Look again at, at verse uh, 4 here. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be made holy. And without blame before him in love. Very interesting. God is going to begin to do a work in our life. Part of that calling, part of that purpose that God has for each and every one of us. You may wonder, well, what am I called to do? I may not be able to speak into the wholeness of what God has called you as an individual to do. But here's one thing I know. You are called to be holy. And you are called to be presented blameless before God Almighty. You understand, when you come into Christ, when we are in covenant relationship, everything that we do now reflects on him. That means if we're a jerk to people in public, guess what? That reflects poorly on Jesus. You understand, there's people that know, you committed your life to the Lord. Why is this guy being so mean? Why is, she, why is she so unkind to everybody? It reflects on Jesus. Well, if that's what a Christian's like, maybe I don't want to be a part of it. It works the other way around. If you're generous, if you're kind, if you're prospering, if you're excelling in life, people are going to look at that and say, I know that guy's not that talented. I know that he used to be a, a horrible person, but as God begins to work and we begin to do good things for him, guess what? That reflects on him as well. In fact, I had a real joy. This, uh, this last week, I got to attend my first Marshallese wedding, and, uh, and that, was a, that was a fun experience, man. I've never been to a Marshallese wedding. In fact, it was the first wedding that we performed here uh, in Kona, and, uh, and I'm just rejoicing because... Not quite two months ago, uh, my friend, my brother, Jeff, his wife, Rochelle, she came a number of months earlier, but Jeff came into the house of God, and the Lord has done a radical work in his life. He's getting saved. He's getting on fire for God. I mean, he, he hardly ever comes to church alone. He's just, he's become a great witness for the Lord, and God is using him. And what was amazing is, I think it might have been the first week, I think it was his second week here, I met him on week two. And Jeff comes up to me and he says, Pastor, I need to get married. And this is very interesting. I didn't preach about marriage. I, I never told Jeff, you know, Jeff, you know, you, you're, you're, you're living with your girlfriend, that's sin, you're going to go to hell if you don't fix it. I never told him that. Mostly because I didn't know that that's what was going on. But what's wild is Jeff gives his life to the Lord. And immediately the Lord puts it in his heart. You need to get married, son. You need to get right. Why? Because when you step into the calling of God, the Lord will put in you a yearning for holiness. He will put in you a yearning that I want to stand before God Almighty, blameless before him. And I feel the anointing in this. I'm just telling you guys, if you have lost that conviction, if you don't feel the need to, to live in holiness, you, you ought to pray. We're going to pray before our service is done. God, help me to be sensitive to your conviction. Help me to walk right before you. Help me that I would live blameless before you, Lord. Speak to me if I'm doing things or living in a way that grieves your heart. We ought to pray that way all the time. 
Nearly every morning in early morning prayer, I, I, I pray and I ask the Lord, God, expose evil that's on the inside. Is there anything in me that, that grieves you? Have I said, have I done anything? Have I treated somebody in a way that, that hurts your heart? And I ask the Lord to speak to me. I tell you, one of the scariest things that can happen is when you become numb to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Some of you may not like feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but I'm just, I'm telling you, it is one of the most precious gifts that we have from God, is when the Holy Spirit speaks to us, hey, I don't like that, hey, love that person, hey, be patient here. What a beautiful thing when God speaks to us. So, to sit with Christ, we are chosen and we are called. Now, here's the second thing. If you're taking notes, write this down. To be seated with Christ or to sit with Christ, oh, this is a good one. We are accepted and we are adopted. You'll see this in verse 5. It says, he predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. According to the good pleasure of his will, verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. So there you see, you are accepted and you are adopted. Look at your neighbor on your left right now and say, I'm accepted. <laughs> now, everybody, now, if everybody obeyed that, you're actually looking at the back of somebody's head, weren't you? Uh, <laughs> look, at, look at a neighbor, lock eyes with somebody and say, I have been adopted. There we go. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a powerful thing. Now, and, and let me just... Let me just interject someone here. I know, I know somebody just got affected, uh, offended just because I even said the word predestined. Oh my goodness, well what do we believe about predestination? I, I don't want to go into that today, but I do just want to make one remark about it because it's here in our text. You cannot avoid predestination. Now there's some guys who say it's like a movie, right? And uh, you think about a movie that you've watched and that you enjoy. You know how the story goes. You know how the story ends. And uh, some people say, well, because God is outside of time, he looks at our entire life. He knows the beginning, the middle, and the end. And so uh, that's God's foreknowledge, right? And out of that is the calling and all of this, and that's predestined. Uh, there's others that say, oh, no, 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 no. Before we were doing anything, no, God had purposes that he instilled. It's God who called us. It's God who saved us. It's all God who does all of these things. And it's a, this sovereignty view. And, and listen, I, I, I think there's truth and there's value to both of those. I don't demonize either of those ideas. In fact, I've, I've heard many smart theologians say, uh, well, which one is it? Uh, and they just kind of say, well, it's both. I think there's an aspect of our responsibility. We're not robots going through life. But there is this, this, this idea that God is sovereign in everything that we have. In fact, you see it in Ephesians over and over and over again. Are you saved? It's the grace of God. Are you called? It's the grace of God. What you have is the grace of God. We cannot lay claim, well, I was so wonderful, and I was so brilliant, and I had such great faith, and that's how I'm where I am with the Lord. No, everything that you have in this life is the grace of God that's been given to you. Here's what I want you to understand. This is just one thought about predestination. We can have a Bible study about it. I'd love to talk to you about it. I love, you know, these Bible school debates. Well, is it Calvinism or Arminianism? And that stuff is fun. But uh, look at verse 5 here. Now, I want you to understand something about the Bible. 
Uh, the Apostle Paul, when he was writing this letter, did not write verse 5, verse 6. No, we put those verse, uh, we put those verse numbers in there to help us uh, to be able to navigate Scripture and to be able to go through. But I want you to look at this, having predestined, right? That's verse 5. What are the two words immediately before? I know there's a verse there, but it's the same sentence. What are the, the two words immediately preceding having predestined? In love. Some people have taken this thought of predestination, and I'm telling you, if your idea of predestination is God is cruel, God is pre-programmed, you don't have an understanding of predestination. Predestination, you must understand, from Scripture is a doctrine of love. He loves us. That's why he's called us. He loves us. That's why he has put a destiny on the inside of us. And it's a wonderful thought. And so in love, he called us. And so to get back on our point here, it says that he adopted us and he has accepted us. And that's a powerful, powerful thought. I grew up in a, in a broken home like many, of, like many of you, if statistics are true, uh, at least half of those who are watching, listening to this message come from either a divorced home or a home that your parents never got married, you know, you didn't grow up with the dad, who, you know, you're, you're the, your birth mom, whatever. And, and I'm one of those, right? My parents divorced. But I was very blessed, I was very fortunate in that I had a stepdad come into my life. Now, you hear me tell stories about my dad, and most of the time when I talk about my dad, I'm talking about my stepfather. But he became dad to me. And I'll never forget the day that he came to me, and I was probably nine or ten at the time, my brother Matt, and, uh, and by that time, uh, my mom and my stepdad had had some of their own kids as well, my half-brothers. But I'll never forget the day that my mom and my stepdad came to me and said, um, Eric, my stepdad, wants to adopt you and Matt. And I didn't even understand the weight of what was being offered to me at the time. I mean, you understand, he loved me as his own and, and he took me in. But when you are adopted, now... Now there's a measure by which I actually carry his identity. There's this, there's this idea of even inheritance. Now, my parents aren't millionaires, but, uh, you know, if, if that were the case, I would receive an inheritance as an adopted son. It's a powerful, powerful idea. No longer are you just, a, a, you know, a live-in child and, well, we'll yeah, we'll support you and we'll give you a roof. Or, no, now you have been given rights. Now you have been given an inheritance. You have been given a name and an identity. And I want you to think for a moment. You're not just a sinner, a, a, a slave that says, you know, all right, well, we'll just let this guy tag along because I'm a good God. No. When God chose you, God's call in his purpose is to receive you into adoption. Guys, that's a 
huge thing. This is why it's important for, understand, for us to understand what we are seated in. You see the miracles that Jesus operated in, the authority that he operated in, when you understand that we are seated with him. And now we have been adopted. That means that we have rights, we have an inheritance, we have authority. The very same things that Jesus, as the son of the living God, had access to, you and I have access to as adopted sons and daughters who are seated in Christ Jesus. Oh, if you can't tell, I'm getting excited about this. I hope the room's cheering right now. Praise God. But this is an incredible, incredible truth. You have been accepted. That's a good word too. You have been accepted. And I love the, what it says there. It says you have been accepted according to the good pleasure of his will. It's not like the Father God came to Jesus, twisted his arm, and said, no, nah, you really got to let this guy in because you know you said anybody you calls on you will be sick. No. He didn't have to twist Jesus' arm. Jesus, even looking towards the cross, said it was the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. It was his pleasure. We have been accepted. And when he looks at us, it's not like, well, yeah, I guess I'll give him a chance. No. He is pleased. There is a joy in the heart of God when we accept and we receive that calling, when we step into that adoption. And I love it. It says, to the praise of the glory of his grace. I already talked about that. It's all by his grace. And here's the last thing. And I, I really just want to give you a Bible on this. This is theology, okay? Number three, to sit with Christ is to be redeemed and forgiven. To sit with Christ is to be redeemed and forgiven. In verse 7 it says this, in him we have redemption. Everybody say redemption. We have redemption through his blood. Forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace which he made abound towards us with all wisdom and prudence. We have received redemption and forgiveness. Now, redemption, you might, like, you know, you get a winning lottery ticket or some prize or something like that and you go and you redeem that and it's like you cash it in. That's not exactly the picture that's given here in, in the Bible. Redemption is the idea of paying a ransom. Somebody is in prison and it's like you're posting bail for them. Or somebody is being held hostage and the, and, and the person holding the individual hostage demands a ransom. And they say, oh, I'll let him go. You give me $10,000. What we're talking about here in the Bible, do you understand that the ransom that Jesus paid was not just a dollar amount. And we're not just talking about prism. We are talking about hell for all eternity. How do you get out of that? Well, the Bible says we need to be redeemed. We need to have our ransom paid so that we can be free from sin and eternal death. Hell. The Bible says, I'm just going to give you a Bible here, okay? So you write this down. This is, a good, this is the gospel in a nutshell, okay? The Bible says that you were bought with a price according to 1 Corinthians 6.20. We at one time were under the dominion of the devil. The Bible says we had nothing but the fearful expectation of judgment. 
hanging over our head. That's Hebrews 10, 27. Can you imagine you live your life, and if you are not seated in Christ, you have nothing to look forward to but the fearful expectation of judgment. You say, Pastor, wow, that's hard, man. Yeah, it is hard. That's a frightening thought. In fact, the same passage says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. You don't want to come to God and not be ready for it. Well, how do I get ready? Let's continue. God's judgment needs to be satisfied. The Bible says that the penalty of sin is death. Romans 6, 23. So somebody needs to die. There needs to be the spilling, the shedding of blood. Because Hebrews 9, 22 says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible, it says, He, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. I know that phrasing is maybe a little confusing, but it's, it's what we call the great exchange. Jesus was sinless, perfect, but he allowed the sin of all humanity to be placed upon him. The Bible says he literally became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. That literally Jesus' perfect life would be taken from him and applied to us. That's the great exchange. Our sin put on Jesus. His righteousness put on us. That's not fair. It's not. But it's grace. It's God giving us what we do not deserve. His grace. His favor. And then Ephesians, it says, let me give you a couple more and then we're done. Ephesians 2.13 says, In Christ Jesus... You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. And then in verse 16, Ephesians chapter 2, it says that he might reconcile us. That word reconcile, it means to bring peace to us. Yes, there is the idea that those who are outside of Christ have an expectation of judgment. There's the wrath of God. There's the expectation. I mean, I'm telling you, guys, that's heavy. I'm telling you, some of you who have, who have been rebelling against God and running from God, some of the pushback you feel, I mean, you blame the devil. It's not always the devil. Sometimes God, the Bible says God resists the proud. And sometimes we're arrogant and the Lord is pushing on us. The Bible says that Jesus is literally a stone of stumbling. He's a rock of offense. And sometimes we're going along, we're doing our own thing, we're being our own gods. And all of a sudden, we, we trip up against something. something. Something knocks us down. Something takes us out. You might get mad at the devil, and it, it, sometimes it might be. But I would submit to you, there are times where God puts stones of stumbling and rocks of offense and, and he'll resist you and some of that pushback you feel in life. Is God trying to wake you up? Saying, I sent my son. He shed his blood. He took your sin. You need to receive it. And when we receive it, we are reconciled. We are brought to peace with God. It says that he reconciled us to God in one body through the cross. He put to death the enmity. Enmity literally means war. Outside of Christ, we're at war with God. The Bible says that, that uh, friendship with the world is enmity with God. There's going to be a constant warring. But I'm telling you, we can have peace with God in this life if we would receive what Jesus did through the cross.
It says, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. It's his good pleasure. He purposed in himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together. Everybody say together. In one, all things in Christ, that which is in heaven and on earth in him. That's deep. That dispensation, all it's talking about is, hey, in this time, in this place right now, what God's desire is, is to bring us together. We're better together. Hallelujah. Well, I want to close in a word of prayer right now. If you could just stand to your feet. As we prepare to close right now, I just want to be sure that everybody who's coming to the house of God is, is right with Jesus. You know, I can't talk about sin and judgment and the wrath of God, hell for eternity, and not give the opportunity for, for us to get right with God. I want you to understand that this isn't just some story. This is not just a set of doctrines. Jesus really came to this earth. He lived a real life. He never sinned, but he took our sin. He died a real, a horrific, a terrible death. And he did all of that so that you and I could be brought together with him. See, the joy of what we get to do, I want you to understand, man, maybe you've done life alone. Uh, Maybe it's been miserable. Maybe you feel that pushback that I was talking about over these last few moments. But the beauty of what begins to happen is we get, we're called and we're chosen and we're, we're accepted, we're adopted, we, we're redeemed and we are forgiven. And even as we began our, our service today, it's this idea that God then begins to take our lives and he begins to fit them together. And we, as we operate and as we grow together, as we walk in that calling, we literally become the dwelling place for the Spirit of God. How amazing is that, that your life, which once was to the glory of the world, it once was to the glory of sin, it once was to the glory of the devil, now can be transformed and our life can literally host the incredible presence of God. When every head bowed, every eye closed, everybody praying right now. You say, Pastor, I want to be accepted. I want to be adopted. I want to receive the call that Jesus has for my life. I want to know that I'm forgiven. I want to know that I've been redeemed, that when Jesus shed his blood, I I was bought from the grip of the enemy, from, from eternity in hell. I want to know that I've been redeemed from that, that I can live a life with Jesus. Listen, if you're here and you've got sin in your life today, we're going to get it right. The Bible says that we, we, we cast our cares on the Lord and he'll sustain us. And we'll bring our faults to the Lord, and He's faithful and just. He will cleanse us of all unrighteousness, but we have to come to Him acknowledging, Lord, I've failed, I've sinned, and I ask you to work in my life. The Bible says if you'll call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart He was raised from the dead, you will be born again. Right now, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. If I was standing in the room, I'd have you lift your hands, but I can't see you. So I'm going to lead us all in a prayer right now. Everybody, every head bowed, everyone praying. I want you to think about what your neighbor's doing or what they, how they may respond. This is between you and the Lord. 
Maybe you've been walking with the Lord for a long time. And maybe, like I said earlier, conviction has gone out of your life. You don't even have that sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Today, let's ask for that to come back. We want to be holy and blameless before the Lord. And we're going to ask Him to do that work. Would you just lift your hands all across this room right now? I want you to pray this with me right out loud. Everybody pray. Dear Jesus, I ask you, Lord, to forgive me. I've sinned. Wash me, Jesus. Cleanse me by your blood. I acknowledge I've fallen short of your holy standard. But I believe you came to this earth. You lived a sinless life. You died a death I deserved. And you rose from the dead. I believe you're coming back soon. And I'm going to be ready because I've been redeemed by your precious blood. Forgive me. Wash me. And Lord, I ask you to accept me and adopt me by the power of your blood. Redeem me. And I will be sure to walk in that calling. Thank you for choosing me. Thank you for being my Savior. Thank you for being my God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God praise right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now listen, um, if you're watching online, I, I want you to... Send us a message, message right there, uh, you know, send us a comment or, uh, you know, just in there, hey, I prayed that prayer, because we've got a devotion, uh, we can send you that in the mail, or at least know that we can pray with you, we'll have somebody call you and be in touch with you, but right in the back of the room, if you're sitting here in this service right now, you'll see this, this table over here, it says next steps, and uh, uh, Tabitha, uh, one of our workers, they're going to be back over there. And if you made a commitment to the Lord, if God's doing a work in your life, I want you to go over there because we'd love to get to know you, hear what God's doing in your life. And, and uh, if you need it, uh, we've got a devotion and we'd love to give you the next couple steps. And man, what do I do now that I've given my life to the Lord? Another thing, if you made a commitment to the Lord, you've not been walking with him for some time, on the 20th, on February 20th, we're going to have a baptism. And I would encourage you, if you've not been baptized or maybe you've been away from the Lord and you're coming back, get baptized. You can do that on our website, register. We'd love to do that. It's a Saturday. It's going to be an awesome time we share together. So I hope you'll do that. Uh, guys, I miss you. I will uh, we'll be back uh, this next week, uh, but don't miss Sunday night. It's going to be powerful prayer. Tuesday, we're going to do prophetic ministry as we always do. It's going to be a real joy, and I'll see you next Sunday. So uh, let me speak a blessing over you. Would you lift your hands once again? Today, I speak the blessing of God over you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As Abraham was blessed in every way, may God bless you in every detail of your life. As God blessed Jacob, changing his name to Israel, may your name Christian cause you to be fruitful and multiply in all you set your hands to do. 
when you're tempted and tried. May you come forth victoriously just as Job, resulting in twice as much as you had before. As you raise your children in the admonition of the Lord, may they in turn grow up godly, bringing honor to your family name. When you honor God with your tithe, may financial and material blessing run you down and overtake you in every area. May the devourer be rebuked and annihilated while others rise up and call you blessed. As you wait upon the Lord, obey his word and seek him above all else. May the blessing of strength, courage, protection, and favor be your reward. May the Lord watch over and guard your going out and your coming in. King's Kona, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his light upon you and be gracious unto you and give you peace. I bless you in the name of the Father, in the name of Jesus, and the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church.